The song leads us right into our text this morning, found in the book of Luke, chapter 5. And so you have a copy of God's Word. Look with me. Book of Luke, chapter 5, as we begin reading with verse 12. As Kenny mentioned a while ago, that I am in a series entitled Lessons from Luke. And what we're doing is we're looking at the life of Jesus with pictures from Luke. How Jesus had encounters with people. Because every time you have a real encounter with Jesus, one or two things will happen. One is that you're going to be changed. And the other, you're going to be challenged. It is impossible to have an encounter with our Lord Jesus and remain the same. You're either going to be changed or you're going to be challenged. And that's the series looking at different people that Jesus encountered and how he changed them or challenged them. And today we're going to be reading a story that in the first world was an amazing story. It's amazing even today, but more so in the first century. Luke chapter 5, verse 12. While he was in one of the cities, behold, there was a man covered with leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And he stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he ordered him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, just as Moses commanded, as a testimony to them. But the news about him was spreading even farther, and large crowds were gathering to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. Let us pray. Our Father, today, as we pray that as we look at this text, that Father, let us see it in our eyes. Father, as if we were there, let us experience it today. But also, Father, help us to understand the lesson of this miracle. That, Father, we can see our condition and what Jesus can do for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Years ago, a doctor announced to the world a newly discovered scientific fact, and the world laughed at him. The world didn't believe him. What he was saying was ridiculous and unbelievable, and so they said, it's not true. But he continued to urge people to consider this scientific fact, and people challenged him. In fact, other doctors and other scientists began to write articles in newspapers and even went on the lecture tour to talk about this doctor's crazy idea. But the doctor kept talking, but no one listened. But they should have. It started in Europe in the 1840s. Mothers giving birth to babies, the mortality rate was very high. They were dying from something they, they call childbed fever. Even in some of the finest hospitals in Europe, they were experiencing a lot of deaths. They couldn't figure out why. And they began to analyze, and they noticed something interesting about what was taking place. If you had a doctor, you died more often than if you had a midwife. So a Hungarian physician, Ignaz Semmelweis, decided to investigate. 
He began to look at all the possibilities. And in fact, he looked at maybe the way the, the doctor interacted with the patient. Maybe the way they even, where they stood in the room. They examined maybe how they had the, the mothers lie down to give birth. They, they looked at all the different reasons. They, he wondered maybe, could it be possible that because it was a man, a male doctor, that the women were dying of embarrassment. Uh, also in that time period in Europe, many times when a doctor made his rounds, a priest would come with you. Imagine that happening. And maybe they were being scared to death. He couldn't figure it out. Why is it possible, what was going on, that the male doctors, if they delivered the baby, they were dying twice the rate as the midwives? For years, he studied this. And then he decided there's only one difference he could find. As he did all this study, only one difference, and that was doctors in that time period did autopsies in the morning before they made their rounds. So he came up with this theory that being with the cadavers, something, some particle from the cadavers must be on the doctors, and they were giving this particle to the mothers. You couldn't see it, but that had to be what was happening. And so in 1847, he decided to implement this crazy idea of washing your hands. Wash your hands after the autopsy, before you went to see patients. And the rate of physician-run maternity ward plummeted. He realized that's the answer. In 1850, he went to do a lecture, the Vienna Medical Society, and told his theory that if we would simply wash our hands before we saw patients, they would live longer. And they laughed at him during the lecture. They ridiculed him during the lecture. They're saying, you're telling us there's something on our hands we cannot see? Are you telling us all we have to do is wash our hands and people will live? And so he left in disgrace. Later on, he went to another hospital, did the same thing. He instituted hand washing. Again, dr drastically, dramatically, the, the rate of mortality of maternity dropped. But again, no one believed him. He published articles on hand washing. He wrote a book in 1858. In, in, in 1860, he wrote a book on it, and no one believed him. They still laughed at him, made fun of him. It wasn't until two years after his death, in 1867, a Scottish surgeon named Joseph Lister said, we need to sanitize our hands and also the surgical equipment, and that will save lives. And people began to listen. In fact, it wasn't until 1908 that hygiene, hand hygiene, became officially incorporated in the American health system. I read the story, and I'm amazed. Here's a man who had the solution to the problem, but no one would listen. He could have saved many lives if people would just simply listen to what he was saying. If they would just followed what he was saying, but no one would listen. This morning in our text, you find a man with a problem. And he decided to go to the only person he knew that had a solution, and he's going to listen to him. And like I said, for the first century, what I just read to them seems ridiculous. The idea of this happening was absurd. And yet this man decided to go see Jesus. The story is very simple. Here's a man with leprosy. He comes to Jesus for help. And as you look at this text, there are really just two questions we can ask. The first question is, what was the problem? And the second question, what's the solution? 
So take your Bibles and let's look at the passage again. Begins with what was the problem. Look at verse 12. While he was one of the cities, behold, there was a man covered with leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Here's a man. He comes to Jesus, and he has leprosy. Leprosy was a dreaded disease found throughout the ancient world. But this problem had many facets to it. You see, first of all, there was the physical problem, the physical problem of the disease itself. Leprosy, without a doubt, was the most feared disease in biblical days. It was known throughout the ancient world. There was no cure for it. In fact, the term leprosy is found 68 times in the Bible. Sometimes the word is used just to talk about an infectious skin disease, but many times it's talking about what we know as leprosy, Hansen disease. Now, some leprosy is very highly contagious, some are not, but they didn't know that in this time period, so they treated everyone as if they were highly contagious. It was a terrible way to die. Physically, they knew what was going to happen to them. It began by losing their hair, including their eyebrows. The vocal cords would become ulcerated until their voices would wheeze as they talk. They would experience disfigurement of the skin and bones, twisting the limbs, many times curling the fingers. Their fingers, hands became like claws. Then you had the facial changes because of thickening of the skin and the tumors. The ulcers on the skin, but also the ulcers on the inside, many times on the breathing tract, and you couldn't even breathe. Many times the ulcers were on the inside and the optic nerves were damaged. You couldn't see. Not only that, one of the worst things about leprosy, because it destroyed the nerve endings, you couldn't feel anything. Now, you think that'd be a good thing, but it's not because you could have your foot in a fire and burn and wouldn't even know it until you're horribly scarred and burned. This was what was awaiting anyone with leprosy. Leprosy was a painful lingering death but it wasn't just the physical it was the social problems too with leprosy not only did you suffer physically you suffered socially because you were an outcast if you had leprosy you were mocked and shunned by society they wanted nothing to do with you in fact it was the closest thing to living death you could have By law, if you had leprosy, you had to wear torn clothing so someone could see you a long way off and they would know that you had leprosy. You had to leave your hair unkempt. You had to cover your face with a a rag. You had to cry out, unclean, unclean, if you saw anyone because you had to let them know you had leprosy. This was what the law said. Society wanted to know who had leprosy and they didn't want to have anything to do with anyone with leprosy. You would be forced to leave your community and go off by yourself. You'll be isolated from the community. You'll be isolated from from normal society. You could not go into cities. You especially couldn't go into wall cities. So if you had leprosy, you couldn't get close to other people, including family members. The rabbis of that day said you couldn't come closer than six feet. I don't know where we get six feet, but it's still today. You couldn't get closer than six feet upwind, 150 feet downwind. One rabbi taught that if you had an egg and you cracked the egg and a leper had been in that, on that street, you did not eat the egg. Another rabbi taught that he carried rocks with him. In case he saw a leper, he would throw the rocks to, to get him away. The Jewish historian Josephus said there was no difference between the leper and a corpse. Other illnesses you could heal, 
But leprosy was impossible. But not only that, there was psychological problems. Psychological problems. One of the worst psychological problems of leprosy was loneliness. You might find another leper colony that you could be around someone, but usually you were by yourself. You were abandoned by your family. You were abandoned by your friends. You were abandoned by the people of faith. You could not attend your father's or mom's funeral. You could not go to your children's wedding. You were forced into isolation. And every day you thought about hugging your spouse. Every day you thought about hugging your children. Every day you thought about being with friends and family, and you couldn't be around them. And the loneliness was unbearable. And then the psychological problem of fear, because you knew what was going to happen. Every day you walk with the shadow of death right behind you. You knew you were going to die. But there's also a spiritual problem. You see, throughout the Old Testament, we see God sometimes punishing people with leprosy. And so the rabbis of Jesus' day, especially the Pharisees, the Pharisees began to teach, if you had leprosy, it was because of your sin. It was because of you. It was a punishment from God. And so if you had leprosy, everyone would point to you and they would say, see that person? They have leprosy because of their sin, their fault. And if they would just confess, it'd be all over with. If they could just find forgiveness, it'd be all over and so they had that problem of a spiritual issue that they were told it was their fault. But even if it was their fault, they were banned from the temple. You say, well, you say, what's the big deal? I mean, we, we have online services. But remember, in Jesus' day, in the temple, you went to the temple to make a sacrifice for forgiveness of sin. If you couldn't go to the temple to make the sacrifice, you couldn't be forgiven of your sins. And here the world is saying, it's because of your sin, you have leprosy, you need to be forgiven, but I can't be forgiven because I can't go to the temple. And so they face this spiritual issue. I cannot be close to God. I cannot be with God. So here's this person coming to Jesus. He has all these problems. He has the physical, the social, the, the, the spiritual, the psychological problem. But Luke adds another problem. Look what he says in verse 12. New American Standard, it says this, there was a man covered with leprosy. Some translations put the word full of leprosy. In other words, this was not the beginning of leprosy. This, this means he's had leprosy for a long time. He was well advanced in the illness. Now, Maybe Luke is saying that because Luke is a doctor and he's fascinated by this. Luke gives a lot of details on physical problems, but there's another reason he's doing this. This man was known as the leper. It became his identity. You say, why do you, why do you say that? Well, because 25 people have been introduced so far in the book of Luke and we have been given a name for every person, but now we come to this person and there's no name. Just a description, a man full of leprosy. There's something sad about that. There's something wrong about that. When you describe someone by a condition and not their name, we, we seem to do it all the time, don't we? we? We point our finger and talk about someone based on their condition or maybe of, of a circumstance. We point our finger and say, oh, there, there's the drug addict. Oh, there's the, there's the alcoholic. Oh, there's the homeless. 
There's the ex-convict. Oh, there's the embezzler. Oh, there's the gambler. There's the adulterer. There's the thief. There's the criminal. Or we point at somebody and, and, and use ethnic slurs or demographic slurs as a description. Listen, whenever we use labels to describe someone, we take away their humanity. And people have pointed to this man and they called him the leper. I mean, someone will make a mistake and for the rest of their lives, they carry the stigma of a title. Or people making a mistake 20, 30, 40 years ago and they're carrying the title. Here is a man known for the very worst moment of his life and that's what we do sometimes. We define people by the weakest and the worst moment in their life. The man was a leper, full of leprosy. But I want you to notice this. This man is not in the New Testament because of how people defined him. He's in the New Testament because of how Jesus redefined him. Big difference. Here's a man full of leprosy. He comes to Jesus to be cleansed. And so when he was cleansed, he was no longer the man of leprosy. He was the man cleansed. When you come to Jesus Christ, there should be no old labels on you. The only label you should have is forgiven. That's what he's saying. And so here comes this man with a problem. He comes to Jesus. And and please understand this. We've said it before. We're going to see it throughout this series. In the New Testament, whenever there's a physical healing, that is a picture of an outward condition, which is going to show to us our inward condition. Okay? Follow along. Anytime in the New Testament... There's a healing, a miracle story. A miracle story is a physical condition, an outward condition, but there's something inward that we need to understand. So every miracle is this picture. We're going to see it throughout this series. Here's this man. His outside condition is leprosy. That's what the story is about. But for us, as we read it, we need to understand it's a story about our inward condition, our sinfulness. So you may not have leprosy today, but I promise you, you're a sinner today. So it's a story looking at the outward of a man who leprosy, but uh, for us at the inward of sinfulness. And the similarity is great. You think about leprosy and sinfulness? I mean, for example, leprosy and sinfulness leads to death. I've already said that. I mean, if you had leprosy, you're going to die. The Bible says our sin causes us to die too. The Bible calls sin missing the mark. The Bible says, Paul says, no. The, the wages of sin is death. Leprosy leads to death, but sinfulness leads to death. Leprosy and sinfulness affects every relationship we have. Affects every relationship we have. Remember, I told you, a leper lost all his relationships. He couldn't have a relationship with anybody. When you have sin in your life, it will affect your relationships. I promise you, whatever sin you, you're dealing with, if you don't deal with it, it's going to affect your relationships. You try to hide something, it's going to affect your relationship with your spouse, your parents, your children, your coworkers. If you have a, a problem with some issue, you may not realize it, but it's going to affect the people around you somehow. It always affects us. But it also affects our relationship with our Father in heaven. If you're here today, you're watching online, you're, you're not a believer, you've never given your life to Christ, your sinfulness is keeping you from a relationship with God. But if you're here today and watching online, you're a believer, your unconfessed sin is affecting your relationship with God by 
breaking fellowship with God. So for the believer, your unconfessed sin is keeping your, 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 your the unbeliever, you're breaking your relationship with God, but for the believer, it's hurting your fellowship with God. So here comes this man. He has a problem. So what's the solution? You have to understand something. This story is absurd in the first century world. There is no earthly cure for leprosy. There is no medicine. There is no surgery. There is no mud treatment. There's not even essential oil that can cure leprosy. And so in Jesus' day, they thought this was humanly impossible to be cured. But they did believe God could cure it. Because the Bible taught that. In the Old Testament, the Bible says if you had leprosy and you were cured, you had to go to the priest. There was something you had to do. So for it to be in the Bible, they said, well, we know it can happen. God has told us what's going to happen if we are ever cured. So we know it can happen, but only God can do it. And so in Jesus' day, the rabbis would teach that one day the Messiah would come and the Messiah could cure leprosy. So when this man runs up to Jesus, he has a problem, he's coming to Jesus. He's coming to Jesus with the idea this must be the Messiah. He believes Jesus can heal him. He had a problem and the solution was coming to Jesus. And so he comes to him. But notice how he says it, a strange way he says in verse 12. He says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. You can make me clean. Now, I would have expected him to say, Lord, you can heal me. Heal me of this leprosy. He doesn't say that. He says, will you clean me? You have to understand something. The question he's asking is, Lord, I need to be clean so I can have a relationship with God. He's asking to be clean so that he can go to the temple to establish his relationship with God. I would have expected him to ask, Lord, heal me. He's not asking that. Lord, will you clean me in such a way that I can have a relationship with my heavenly father? That's what he's asking. Remember, he couldn't go to the temple. He couldn't make the sacrifice. He is desiring more than anything else a personal relationship with God. And sometimes we get so fixated on the physical problem that we miss the spiritual problem. This man wanted to come into the presence of God. So he's saying to Jesus, Lord, I'm a leper. I need to be clean so I can come into the presence of God. I feel like someone with a long-term physical illness and all they say is, I just want to have a relationship with God. That's, that's my only desire. So notice how he comes to Jesus. First of all, he came to Jesus broken. He came to Jesus broken. You see, hopelessness is brokenness. He was broken. He had no hope. There was no hope in his world to be healed. No way possible he could ever be healed. When you feel no hope in your situation, you become broken. You may be here today. You may be watching online. You're in a situation you think is hopeless. And because of that hopelessness, you're broken. That's what this man was. He was so broken, he, he broke every rule imaginable. Number one, you did not come to a crowd. Number two, you did not come to the rabbi. Number three, he couldn't be around people. Number four, he didn't say unclean, unclean. He just came. He broke every rule. He could have been killed, but he didn't care because he was going to die anyway. When you're hopeless, you'll do anything. That's what he's doing. He is hopeless. He's broken. But also he comes to Jesus with humility. It says he fell on his face and implored him, a New American Standard. Some translations use the word beg. Luke loves that word. Luke uses that word over and over. It means keep on begging, keep on, keep on, keep on asking. It's the same word, Jesus, the the demoniac comes to Jesus asking to 
to be helped. Same word used the father, the bottom of the Mount, uh, the Mount of Transfiguration when his son is sick and he kept begging Jesus. This man is coming to Jesus with humility. He falls on his face and he's begging, 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 Lord, you're greater than I am. I, I'm nobody. You're greater than I am. Will you do something? He doesn't come with pride and say, Lord, you owe it to me. Lord, you better do this. No. <laughs> he comes to him saying, I can't do anything. I don't deserve this, but I'm asking. He comes to Jesus focused. He has all of his energies focused on one thing, and that is Jesus, the Lord. Now, somebody once said, we, if we would give God 100% focus, it would change our world. But he also came to Jesus in faith. He asked Jesus a strange question. Again, it's a very strange question. Look at verse 12 again. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Did you notice it? He had leprosy, and no one in the world could cure him. But he comes to Jesus, and he says, I know you can clean me. That's faith. Lord, I know you can do it. Lord, I know you have the power to change my situation. Lord, I know you have the power to change my life. Lord, I know you have the power to change my world. I know it. There is no doubt in my mind. But my question, are you willing? Are you willing? God, I know you can do it, but will you do it? This man understood the power of Jesus. What he didn't know was the love of Jesus. And again, you may be here this morning thinking the same thing. Lord, I know you have the power to change my situation. Lord, I know you have the power to forgive me. I know you have the power to change my world. But Lord, will you? Will you do it? You see, you, you can know the power of Jesus and still doubt the love of Jesus. And I've talked to many people in that world, and they'll, they'll say, I know he can do it, but why would he do it for me? So how does Jesus answer him? Verse 13. And he stretched out his hand and touched him. He didn't have to do that. Jesus could have just said a word and he'd been cured. We, we know that because Jesus cured somebody a long way off. He could have just waved his hand. He could have just had a word of prayer and the man be cured, but he doesn't. He reaches out and he touches him. The question, Lord, the question was, Lord, are you willing? And Jesus touches him. He had not been touched by anyone outside of leprosy for years. And he touches them. Why? Well, two reasons. One is to show them, I love you. He's willing to respond by reaching out and touching him. No one has touched him. He had not experienced the loving touch of his wife, the soft touch of a child, the strong touch of a friend for years. There's power in touch. Many years ago in another state, a man called me and asked me to go visit his son in the hospital. He said, just go and talk to him, maybe pray with him. He didn't tell me what was wrong with his son. And I went in the hospital room. The son was in his early 20s. He lost a lot of weight, his eyes sunken in his head. And although they didn't tell me what was wrong, I knew immediately what was wrong. 
Found out later I was right. Young man had AIDS. And many people don't remember the stigma of AIDS when it came out. No one knew what was happening with AIDS. No one. We didn't know how contagious it was. It changed sporting events. It changed everything. And there was a stigma to it, a fear to it. So I walked in. I was talking to the young man. And as I was leaving, usually I hold my hand before I pray. I reach out to hold his hand. And he recoiled. He got on the other, as far away from me as he could in that bed in fear. And I remember him reaching out slowly, carefully, holding my hand as I prayed for him. And I went by to see him the next few weeks. And then as I reached out to hold his hand in prayer, he, he began to reach out and hold my hand as I prayed. He went home, and a few weeks later, he died, and I did the funeral. It was at the funeral the father came to me. The father was crying. And the father said, I want you to thank you for visiting my son. He always looked forward to your visits. Because, Pastor, you're the only person outside the medical staff and me that would touch him. Everyone else was clinical. And I was a father. But no one else would touch my son. And he looked forward to having someone touch him you see sometimes we need to put our arms around someone sometimes we need to hug someone sometimes we need to hold someone just to say i love you that's what jesus did well there's a second reason he did it to reveal himself you have to understand something in this this time period they were saying the messiah would come and the messiah would cure leprosy in the Talmud, the, the Jewish writings, it stated that the Messiah would absorb our sickness and not become sick. Well, in Jesus' day, anyone who touched a leper had to go in uh, isolation for seven days. Here's Jesus in front of everyone. He reaches out and he touches the person, and he was healed immediately because Jesus absorbed the sickness, but he did not become a leper. He absorbed the sickness, but he didn't become sick. He's the Messiah. But also, it is a picture of what Jesus is going to do on the cross. When Jesus was on the cross, he absorbed your sin and my sins upon him. He absorbed our sins when he died on the cross. What Jesus was doing for that leper is a picture of what Jesus was going to do on the cross. Jesus came and he cleansed the leper. And when you come to Jesus, he will cleanse you of your sins. If you're broken and humble and focused and come in faith, Jesus will cleanse you. He will forgive you. He will change your life. And he will remove all the labels the world has placed upon you. But you need to give your life to him. Those of you online, if you want to give your life to Christ, if you would text the word today at 270-398-5005, and a minister will call you today and talk to you about how you can give your life to Christ. But for those of you who are here, if you've never given your life to Christ, will you do so today by admitting you're a sinner, coming to Jesus, say, Lord, I don't earn it, I don't deserve it. I'm a sinner. I need help. And I believe that you died for my sins 2,000 years ago. You were buried on the third day you rose. 
And Lord, I confess, I give you everything I have. I lay at your feet. Will you come into my life? Will you do that today? Would you stand and bow your heads? Our Father, we pray that we'll be like this man, this forgiven man, this cleansed man. And Father, we'll come to you in the same way. Because, Father, there's no way possible on this earth for any of us to have forgiveness apart from Jesus. There's no way possible any of us can earn our way into heaven because we don't deserve it. And so we have to come to the solution. The solution is our Lord Jesus Christ who came and he died for us. And so, Father, we come and give you everything. We ask you, Father, to remove the labels that the world has placed upon us and replace it with the word forgiven. Child of God. Child of the King. Father, let no one hesitate because Satan is telling them they're not worthy. Let no one hesitate because Satan is telling them, oh, just wait till next week. Let them be like this forgiven man, this cleansed man, who came because he was hopeless and broken and put his faith in the solution, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.